Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you this morning, and I'd like just to look back for a moment to what we were hearing in the children's talk. We were hearing about the law of gravity, weren't we? So the law of gravity, we know, was set out by Isaac Newton, one of the great physicists back in the 19th century who established the laws of motion and gravity and, uh, and all these things that we still use today. And then at one point, Newton built a model of the solar system. And it showed the planets in their courses as they orbit around the sun. And he had it in his study. And Newton had a friend who was an atheist. And one day the atheist came to visit Newton. And he saw the model. And he was impressed. And he said to Newton, who built that? And Newton looked him straight in the eye and said, no one. No one built it. And the atheist said, Don't be ridiculous. Now, that's the problem for atheists in the nuclear, in in, in a a nutshell. They want to tell us what we see was not designed, it wasn't made, it just, it just happened. But it doesn't make any sense, does it? Christians say God made everything out of nothing. What do the atheists say? The atheists say Nothing made everything out of nothing. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hand. The the, the grandeur and the order in what we see was designed and created by God. That's what the Bible says. And we just have to ask, can we believe that? It's, it's increasingly unpopular in the United Kingdom to believe in creation, isn't it? People say eh, that science has disproved creation and the very existence of God. Let me give you a dictionary definition of science. Here's what the dictionary says science is. Science is the systematic study of the nature and behavior of the universe based on observation, experiment, and measurement, and the formulation of laws to describe these facts in general terms. Now, on that definition, there are very many scientists, very many Christians who are scientists. As a medical doctor, I I number myself amongst them. Now, why is that? Well, because science depends on the rational intelligibility of the universe. Science depends on the rational intelligibility of the universe. You have to believe that before you can even start doing science. And of course, very many well-known scientists have recognized that. John Lennox, who's a fellow at Green College at Oxford University, he says physics depends on the assumption that the universe is rationally intelligible. All scientists believe this. So, describing the laws of nature, how they operate, what effect they have, describing laws is not the same thing as explaining how the laws were established. I mean, it isn't, is it? Think of a game of billiards. 
What do Newton's laws tell us? Newton's laws describe the motion of the billiard balls, right? So you can figure out how a ball bounces off the cushion and bounces off other balls. And if you're really good at it, you can make predictions and calculations and maybe you'll win at billiards. So Newton's law describes how the billiard balls move. But Newton's law don't move the balls, do they? The laws don't make the shots. That requires a player with a billiard cue, a person doing it, a person with a purpose. Now, the atheists say that everything there is arose by complete random chance. And I guess we all know something about the theory of evolution. Some creatures, as a result of spontaneous mutations in their genetic makeup, develop a new characteristic. And if that happens to give them some advantage in the competitive natural world, then these creatures survive at the expense of other creatures. That's natural selection. And the new species, they say, displaces the old disadvantaged species and its survival of the fittest. Now, forgive me if I oversimplify, but just for anyone who hasn't thought very much about this, this is how it works. An animal such as the zebra has a genetic mutation that produces a longer neck and allows it to reach leaves in the trees that other zebras can't reach. And when food is scarce and other zebras are starving and dying off, that zebra and its offspring survive. And the process continues and continues with repeated mutations and longer and longer necks until, hey presto, you have a new species called giraffe. And that's the principle. So we're told all life forms evolved by complete random chance starting with single-celled organisms in the primordial slime and ending up with, with human beings. So we people are, are really, we're really nothing more than grown-up germs. Now there's a number of very serious problems with the theory of evolution by complete chance. And more and more scientists are, are recognizing that and, and looking into it. Because in many ways it simply goes against basic principles. Scientists describe the law of entropy. Do you remember the law of entropy from physics at school? The law of entropy says that if you leave things to themselves, the result is always disorder. So if you put hot water in one side of a bucket and cold water in the other side, it's only a fraction of time and you've got a bucket full of tepid water. That's entropy. So imagine with me. Here you are, you're an explorer, you're hacking your way through the undergrowth in the Amazon jungle, and suddenly you come out into a clearing and you find a garden, a rose garden, neatly planted, and the paths are tidy and the borders are weeded and the roses are pruned. What's your reaction? What do you say? Well, goodness, here's a good example of what will happen if you just leave things alone. Is that what you say? Of course you don't. Here's something that came about by complete random chance. No, common sense agrees with the law of entropy. And if there's a garden, 
you know that somewhere there has to be a gardener, even if you haven't met him yet. Now, maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, that's actually not a great argument. A neat and tidy garden doesn't produce any survival benefit for anybody. Well, yes, but, but then neither does a beautiful sunset. Neither do 400 billion stars gleaming in the Milky Way. Neither do lambs skipping in a field. But they're there. These things are not about survival of the fittest. They're about God's delight in beauty and order. That's what the whole world, that's what the whole universe is telling us. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. So look at the, the order and the regularity we see around us. Day after day, as the psalmist says, the sun rises and sets, and rises and sets. Doesn't order point us to an organizer? I wonder if you've heard of SETI, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI. NASA has spent millions of dollars setting up radio telescopes to monitor sig signals from space in the hope of detecting an intelligent source. The astronomer Carl Sagan says a six-second burst of radiation gives enough evidence to distinguish an intelligent source from random noise. Really? Really? Well then, how is it that they can't use the same logic for what they see here on earth? A single gram of DNA holds 2.2 million gigabytes of information stored in an organized fashion. You'd need 486,000 DVDs to do that. Isn't, isn't that evidence of intelligent design? Isn't it? And even if you do buy into evolution by complete chance, you need DNA for evolution. No one argues with that. That's how genetics works. Well, where did DNA come from? It can't have evolved. No DNA, no evolution. And isn't it interesting how the atheists appeal to reason? Yet, let's l l use our intelligence, they say. Let's use our intellectual powers. Let's use reason. Let's use logic. Because they're assuming that things have order and reason rather than just being random. So here's what they're saying. They're saying, let's use logic to prove everything is illogical. It's stupid. The famous physicist, or biologist rather, Haldane, once said, if my mental processes are determined solely by random motions of atoms in my brain, then I have no reason to suppose that my beliefs are true. 
In particular, I have no reason to suppose that my brain is composed of atoms at all. Now, you've all heard of Richard Dawkins, the, the, the high priest of atheism. And he said, in a universe of blind forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and we won't find any rhyme or reason in it. Well, listen, we mustn't let the atheists hijack science. C.S. Lewis wrote, men became scientific because they expected law in nature, and they expected law in nature because they believe in a, in a lawgiver. People want to tell us science has disproved God. One of Dawkins' colleagues at Oxford University, a man called Peter Atkins, has said humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification for believing in a cosmic purpose. Well, in fact, the very opposite is true. Let me say it again. Science depends on the rational intelligibility of the universe. Now, it's easy to think that God and science are enemies, but it's not true. We need to just stop and, and look a little more carefully at what's being talked about here. The real clash is not between God and science at all. That's to completely misunderstand the issues. The real conflict is between God and materialism. Or if you're into isms, between theism and materialism. Materialism is the belief that everything there is arose by complete chance and matter and energy are all there is, and everything else came about as a result, including our minds. One professor of biology has said, man is the result of a purposeless and natural process that did not have a hidden mind. He was not planned. That's materialism. And materialism is a very different thing from science. Science is a process, it's a, a discipline of finding out facts, of discovering the truths about our universe. So I think materialists have given scientists a bad name. Most scientists are not materialists. Most scientists do not believe everything is random and meaningless. What about theism then? the belief in the intelligent design of the universe. At the very least, that means there's a designer. What the world's religions call God. The mind came first, the mind of God, and matter and energy and everything else followed on from there. Theism is the, the belief in God. So listen, to set up a debate between God and science is simply wrong-headed. It's a, it's, it's a bit like organizing a fixture between Manchester United and the English Cricket Eleven. It's just the wrong match. The real debate is between theism and materialism, not theism and science. Theism and materialism are both statements of faith. The materialists believe, have faith, that everything there is happened by chance. And the theists 
believe that everything was designed and made. So in the red corner, God made everything out of nothing. And in the blue corner, nothing made everything out of nothing. It's a clash of worldviews. And there are scientists on both sides of the discussion. Now, I wonder if you're here this morning and you're a scientist or a, or a medical student or a doctor. As you heard earlier, I trained as a doctor. I worked as a surgeon. I had to study anatomy and physiology. And I find it extraordinary that people can look at our bodies and look at our minds and fail to recognize that we've been designed. David said in another psalm, you created, you God created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now some scientists can be extraordinarily arrogant. They say something like this. If we can explain how something works, then that's all there is to know about it. That's a bit like saying, if I can take my little Toyota Yaris out in the car park there, if I can take it to bits and then put it together again, then that proves that nobody designed it and nobody made it. But a mechanism doesn't mean that nobody invented the mechanism. We need to distinguish the how of making something from the why of making it. Let me, let me give you a simple illustration. Imagine you come round to my house and you walk into the kitchen and the kettle's boiling. Well, why is the kettle boiling? Well, it's not rocket science. I've connected the kettle to the electricity supply by plugging in and switching on. And the differential voltage has produced an electric current through the resistance in the kettle, which has produced energy, which has been transferred to the water by a process of conduction and raised the temperature to 100 degrees Celsius, which is the boiling point of water. And that's why the kettle's boiling. Science. But I have another explanation. The kettle is boiling because I knew you were coming and I decided to make a pot of tea. And both explanations are perfectly correct. The science explanation is a how explanation about the physics. And the pot of tea explanation is a why explanation. So here's the thing. Scientific analysis can only tell you how. It can never tell you why. Now, there are lots of scientists running around telling us why, but they can't and they shouldn't. Scientific analysis can only tell you how. It can never tell you why. Alan Sandage is generally recognized to be the father of modern astronomy. He's the, the scientist who discovered quasars. And in studying the universe, he wrote this. I find it quite improbable that such order came out of chaos. There has to be some organizing principle. God to me is a mystery, but is the explanation for the miracle of existence. Why there is something rather than nothing. But you know what really bugs me? Let me tell you what really winds me up. 
It's seeing some biologists like Richard Dawkins trying to insulate their preferred worldview from all criticism. They'd like, they'd like to equate the theory of evolution by complete chance, and it is just a theory, they would like to equate that with science itself, and they'd like us to think it's beyond question. These atheists would like us to treat all criticism of their position as necessarily unscientific. But as soon as they take that line, it's them that's acting in a profoundly unscientific way. Now, just, just think with me. Evolution does not prove there's no God. You can't, you can't deduce atheism from evolutionary biology. Who's to say God didn't use some mechanism of evolution to produce what he designed? I don't know. But you can deduce evolutionary biology from atheism. If you start with atheism, you have to. If you want to explain how the whole of the universe came about with no designer or no God, you must subscribe to evolution by chance. How else are you going to explain the universe? So it's not that evolution has been proved and atheism is the logical conclusion. It's the other way around. In our universities and in our colleges and now in our schools as well, atheism rules. It's taken as a given. In the academic environment, it's, it, it's a given. So materialism follows from that. Every discussion presupposes a prior commitment to materialism. So it becomes increasingly difficult to ask critical questions about evolution and materialism. Anyone who raises doubts is just labeled as a crank. If you have serious questions, you're likely to be ridiculed or pitied. Here's what Dawkins has said. It's absolutely safe to say, if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is insane, ignorant, stupid, or wicked. And he calls that science? Over the last few years, there's been a significant change in attitude. The atheists don't just want to proclaim their own beliefs. They want to stop others declaring their beliefs. It's called the new atheism. It was depressing to read in the newspaper a couple of years ago, Professor Alice Roberts, who's, a, who's the a president of the Association of Science Education, she demanded ban creation lessons from school science. Now you see what she's saying, don't you? Not let's behave as scientists and examine the evidence. She's saying, let's stop our children thinking about it. And as we finish, I want to ask, why? Why? Why are some people so committed to materialism? Why are they so set against intelligent design and theism in the face of the evidence? And I don't think the answer is far hard to find. They don't want there to be a God. They don't want there to be a higher being who created them. 
They don't want to countenance the possibility that they might actually be accountable for how they live. No one was more honest or or open about this than, than the atheist Aldous Huxley, the guy who wrote Brave New World. He admitted he wanted to dispense with a God whose demands might clash with his chosen lifestyle. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. And he went on, consequently, I assumed it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For me, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation, sexual and political. In other words, the reasons for commitment to materialism are moral rather than intellectual. The reasons people are committed to materialism and atheism are moral, they're not intellectual. If there's no God out there, and I'm nothing more than a grown-up worm, then there's no such thing as absolute right and wrong, and I can go ahead and live any old way I want. Does the Bible have anything to say about that? Well, of course it does. In fact, chapter 1 of Romans, the wrath of God is being revealed against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And so we find ourselves back with the psalmist, the the heavens declare the glory of God, The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Observation and science point us not away from God, but towards God. Don't close your eyes to that. Don't suppress the truth by your wickedness. The Bible says if you do, if you refuse to think about it all and to see God in what's been created, then you are without excuse. Now, God not only created everything, he also stepped into his creation in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in history, like a landlord becoming the lodger, like, like, like Shakespeare becoming one of the characters in one of his own plays. God stepped into our world as a human being. We're without excuse for our refusal to believe in God, but Jesus has taken the blame for that when he died on the cross. That's what the Christian faith is about, that where we are rebels against God, Jesus has come to put us right with God. So look at the glories of what has been made and worship God, the creator. Thank you for listening.